1: Everybody likes a celebration Happy music and conversation
0: I'd be lying if I said I didn't have the
1: blues In the corner there's a couple dancing From the kitchen I can hear them laughing wide And And
0: welcome back to the X-1, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the X-1 Broadcast Network, iHeart Radio Network, Digital Satellite Network, and a slew of other ones around the world. And if you'd like to find out what's going on in the Exxon and on the Exxon Broadcast Network, just visit our site at www.xzbn.net. Here's a question, Exxon Nation. What if things were made in the USA again? Well, my guest this hour is James A. Stuber, and he wrote a book uh, entitled What If Things Were Made in America Again? How Consumers Can Rebuild the Middle Class by Buying Things Made in American Communities. Jim has a passion for staunching uh, the flow of American jobs overseas and bringing jobs back to America in large part due to his family's background in steelmaking in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. In pursuit of that passion, in addition to writing this book, Jim has found Made in America Again, a movement of consumers dedicated to building healthy communities across America by buying things made in those communities. Jim is an attorney and entrepreneur and formerly served as a legislative assistant to a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He holds a degree from Georgetown University and a bachelor's and master's in political science from the University of Pennsylvania and Columbia University. And uh, Jim, welcome to the Exxon, and congratulations on all the great things that you are doing. My hat is off to you, sir.
2: Well, thank you, Rob. It's great to be with you tonight, and uh, I'm just very grateful that, in fact, that book finally exists. It, it took uh, three years when I thought it would take one.
0: Well, I, 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 I can only imagine how busy you are as an attorney, as an entrepreneur. Where did you find the time to write the book, Jim?
2: Well, basically, I phased down my other work. I uh-huh. was working as a consultant for an a, a earlier stage medical device company. Mm-hmm. And uh, over these three years, I phased that out uh, to almost nothing now for this, for this past year. So a good deal of our family uh, savings went into this uh, right. as, as, uh, as I was uh, completing this work.
0: Your mission sounds a lot like the mission of President
2: Trump. Well, yes. Uh, he was the only candidate on the Republican side, mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders was the candidate on the Democratic side who pointed out that uh, globalization was not working yeah. and, and that uh, the American consumer, uh, American uh, worker was suffering. Uh, just something that uh, you know, most of our political elites and academic elites just failed to recognize.
0: I, uh, I happen to like President Trump. I think he's, got, he's on the right track. So I, please don't misunderstand if you thought I was giving you a hoodwinked um, question there.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. As all I right. say, uh, he had the genius yep. to recognize uh, what was really going on. And as you well know, uh, it was Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin mm-hmm. who were at the top. Three states that uh, who people in their daily lives knew the truth about this because they were they were living it.
0: You see, I've been I was saying from day one when I found out that uh, President Trump was wanting running that finally the country is going to be run like a business because the country is a business.
2: Well, yes. And, you know, uh, one way to look at this is that uh, we have a broken business model. Yep. Uh, if you, you know, go to the MBA schools and you talk about these things, uh, people talk about a company. And they want to know, well, what's the business model? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, since 1945, for 70 years, uh, have pursuing a broken business model where we've been just busily sending jobs to our trading partners.
0: Why was that done? What was the logic behind you know, outsourcing jobs and, and putting Americans you know, out of work?
2: Well, you have to go back a ways, uh, really, to the days of Adam Smith, when uh, he and David Ricardo were coming up with uh, the ideas of a free market. But uh, Smith extrapolated that to the idea that a free trade would mm-hmm. be a good idea. And then Ricardo said, and actually uh, nations should just focus on the things where they have a comparative advantage, and that'll work out better for them. And if we had followed Ricardo's advice, then we would have been growing corn and buying manufacturing goods from England. And oh uh, this is actually interesting, Rob. The uh, the current uh, hit Broadway musical, Hamilton, yes. often pits uh, Hamilton versus Jefferson. And indeed, this was one of the things they disagreed about because Jefferson thought that was a good idea, that uh, the gentleman farmer, America, should be pr- producing corn because that's what we were best at. But Hamilton said, no, uh, we need to build up our manufacturers in exactly the same way England had yep. done behind its protectionist barriers. and. So in the end, in the, in the end, Hamilton won out, and for 150 years, we did build up our industry behind a, a wall of protection, uh, and it worked out very nicely for us. Meanwhile, uh, England, to its detriment, in the 1840s, did adopt uh, Ricardo's theories and mm-hmm. opened and adopted free trade, and that began their long decline. So it has not worked out well for them. But if you fast forward uh, to the Great Depression, 1932, when uh, When Franklin Roosevelt was running for office, uh, he and the Democrats were trying to blame the Depression on the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, which is a myth. It's been proven by economists, that that's a myth. And so they they ran on a platform of free trade. And when they got in office in 1934, Congress enacted a law giving the president the right to uh, negotiate away the tariffs without Congress involvement. It didn't really kick in until after World War II, but beginning in 1945, mm-hmm. we started negotiating away our our uh, protections and also fighting communism, uh, and that played a big role in it as well as to why we were giving our markets to the Asian countries so they wouldn't be trading with China.
0: You know, it, there are many of the forefathers in the United States as well as up here in Canada where, who had the vision, and there were those like... Uh, you know Hamilton he had the vision, and you know he could he was looking forward where where the others just kind of looked at this little slice of time and and built everything around that 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 slice in in time model and we 've seen the same thing with other aspects of of the legal system, not only in the United States and in Canada but across Europe as well. What do you think it'll take before people start looking at the world in the year twenty? 17 as it should be?
2: My hope, and I I hope my book will make a contribution to this, Mm -hmm. is that people will wake up as they see their own lives or their neighbor's lives, they see the effects this is having, and they can become aware of it and become alarmed. Uh, I think uh, right now what we're seeing is that um, these uh, preposterous theories that we are following, one of them was that well, we'll just send the, uh, the low-skill jobs overseas, and we'll keep those good white-collar uh, design jobs and those kind of jobs here in the United States. Uh, and so now we see that the new thing for these consulting firms that will help you offshore your, your business are telling you how to – they're doing something called knowledge outsource processing. And these are the knowledge jobs, and, and the companies who are doing it are finding they can save 40% by having this stuff done in India – Well, as people realize that their children and their neighbor's children uh, are seeing their jobs sent overseas Mm -hmm. and and trying to figure out what they can advise their children to train for, maybe people will start waking up. God, I hope so. I really hope so. And also, I think you'll see, you know, where I live, uh, a lot of professionals in this area Mm -hmm. and you see people when they lose their job, they're they're being out of work for a long time. And if you're old enough, if you're in your 50s, it could be, you know, you, you'll never get back into that world. Exactly, yeah. So I think that as people see that happening, um, they'll start waking up to the fact that, you know, we're really living on thin ice, and, and it's our own fault.
0: I was watching a, a a documentary this morning while I was having my breakfast at home called The Eco uh, Pirate, all about Paul Watson and his fight to save the, the ocean ecology because... Not only are we looking at massive destruction within the economic structure, but we're also looking at it through, because we're of the overfishing and everything else that the mm-hmm. present laws are not being enforced because of Japan and other Asian countries who actually,
2: you know, control the votes. Yes, and even, even when there are agreements on the books, you know, yeah. they'll violate them. Uh, the, the situation I discovered in my research really only came to light in 2015. Uh, there was an Associated Press expose of the fishing industry off thailand mm-hmm. and it turns out that they've actually got slave ships operating yep. off thailand and these poor guys uh you know they're refugees from myanmar and places like that they get put on these ships and they can't get off you know they'll be on the ship for three years because they offload their fish onto a mother ship and uh, it's just a race to the bottom and it's, it's kind of hard to find the bottom when you look at some of these <clears throat> working conditions yeah and so not only will they uh, they'll engage in overfishing, uh, but they'll also exploit the labor in ways you, you really couldn't have imagined.
0: Unreal. The topics that you and I are talking about this hour, uh, have, hasn't this been covered before?
2: I was surprised. You know, when I started looking into this, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I realized that most of these topics uh, in the daily press get a very superficial treatment. So they might refer to how well the stock market is doing. They might look at the top line mm-hmm. unemployment number and maybe that's under 4% and that sounds pretty good. And then buried in the article somewhere will say, uh, well, but long-term unemployment remains a problem or un- underemployment remains a problem. When you look into it, you realize that if you add up all of the people in part-time who wish they were full-time and yeah. people who are underemployed for their skills, you've got 10, 12, 16% uh, underemployment and, and unemployment. It doesn't get reported but I did discover, uh, to, to my pleasure, that occasionally you will see these in-depth articles. And so, But what I found was that um, nobody had really pulled it all together under one cover. I, I don't know why, but I wrote the book that I had wished somebody else had written. Uh, and I, I went into the government uh, statistics themselves. You, mm-hmm. you actually can go, if you'll dig deep enough, these things are available from the Census Bureau and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you can learn for yourself what the real unemployment numbers are and how many dollars did we really send to these countries. By the way, since 1985, the number was $16 in 2016 dollars. That's a a lot of money that we sent to uh, places like China and Japan. Uh, So the information, um, I honestly had to go digging pretty deeply for it. Uh, another place I, I ended up going was uh, The Economist. Uh, you know, a lot of their work ends up in papers they get published, but don't, never get put into a book. And All right, so we've, got to, we've got
0: to take our break. Please stand by, uh, Jim. Exonation. Uh, Jim Stuber is our guest this hour. And www.miaa.us is the website. That's miaa.us. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. There's a couple dancing from the kitchen. I can hear them laughing. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the x Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X...
1: XZBN. I will remember you. Will you remember me? Don't let your You but, the the Welcome back,
0: everyone. Don't forget, you can join me Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. Eastern until 9 a.m. Eastern as I sit in the anchor chair at Channel 365 News Talk music, entertainment, and information to start your day with. That's Channel 365, and the name of the show is Good Morning 365, with yours truly, Rob McConnell. My guest this hour is Jim Stuber, and uh, he's written a very interesting book, ExoNation, and uh, since Christmas is right around the corner, this is a book that I certainly would recommend you to buy. What if things were made in America again? How consumers can rebuild the middle class by buying things made in American communities. And once again, the website is www.miaa.us. Jim, uh, what was the what was the most startling information that you found during your research that you knew had to get out there and John Q. Public, we the people, had to see it?
2: Well, uh, I'd say the I was startled probably most by the working conditions in the uh, factories and fisheries. Uh, Abroad, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, kind of the the tagline I came up with was that your smartphone was made in a labor camp, and your clothes were made in a sweatshop, and your fish were caught on a slave ship. Oh gosh, I, I really didn't have an appreciation for that. Uh, the place where it makes the Apple iPhones had to put up uh, nets because people were jumping off the roof to commit suicide because of their. Uh, they lived in these dormitories where they had to stand in line to go to the bathroom and wash their clothes and work 12-hour shifts. So. Uh, and and that this was uh, how widespread that was. Uh, So uh, I'd say that was one of the things. But probably the most uh, startling thing I found was the depth of the social and economic distress that's been caused in American communities uh, scattered all across the country where the major employer closed down and and how that community struggled afterwards. Uh, One of the things that uh, really got me was I realized there was a famous uh, economist angus deaton who's a nobel prize winner he and his wife ann case at princeton Mm -hmm. uh, real they noticed that the uh, lifespan of white americans without a college education was going down and uh, was uh, decreasing instead of increasing and they looked into the causes and they discovered something they called the deaths of despair and it's basically drug overdose is suicide and drinking yourself to death. And they, uh, if you look at the uh, incidence of these things, they just take off in about the year 2000, which uh, not coincidentally is exactly the year when our uh, jobs started going to China. And then some other economists have connected the dots. They've looked at the communities and the industries that were subject to the Chinese competition, and they've seen that these deaths of despair were higher. There's a statistical uh, correlation with them. So um, I, I'd say the thing that surprised me, even more than the working conditions mm-hmm. abroad, was uh, how hard-hit our families and communities have been who have been seeing these jobs lost.
0: Jim, why did the government let that happen? Why didn't the House of Representatives or the Senate do something about this? Jim? Yes.
2: Did you lose me for a moment there? Yeah, I I did, my friend. Uh, Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I I apologize for that, Uh, but I'm glad I fixed that. Um, When you lost me, I believe I was explaining that the uh, communities that experience these job losses, the depths of the social and economic uh, impact there really shocked me.
0: Yeah, uh, and I I asked, why didn't the government step in? Why didn't the president step in? Why didn't the House of Representatives step in? Why didn't uh, the Senate not step in and and block these deals
2: well it wasn't even uh it wasn't the particular deals the countries that are most problematic for us Mm -hmm. are china uh japan and germany but perhaps you're right because you could call china's entry into the world trade organization and our granting of most favored nation treatment to china as a deal it was it followed on the nafta deal that was in 1994 and and uh Clinton started the China thing and Bush finished it up. Uh, And I think my answer is that um, inexplicably our leaders have been in the thrall of this theory of free trade. Uh, When I looked at the NAFTA debates, uh, there was a documentary done about it. And Congressman Bill Archer of Texas was on the House floor explaining how this was going to be so wonderful for American jobs because we were going to create a Mexican middle class that was going to be buying... Automobiles and diapers and air conditioners from America. I and mean, you don't know whether to laugh or cry when you hear that. Yeah. Uh, and and you so you have to wonder, did they really believe that? Or I know what the companies believed, they knew that they were gonna move their production there and we were gonna do the opposite.
0: So nobody was looking out for the common American at that time.
2: No, and you know, I have to say that this is really a mystery to me, it remains so. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a congressional staffer, uh, we my congressman from was from South Florida, which is typically a retirement uh, and tourism area. We yeah. had few manufacturing jobs, but we had uh, a, a plant that tested pr- uh, engines for Pratt and Whitney. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he would go out there every election and and shake hands. and we would he would have walked through fire rather than uh, lose any of those jobs. And I'm just still scratching my head wondering how these members of Congress could have been voting for these things and, and destroying jobs in their districts. And honestly, uh, I've got two degrees in political science, and I still don't, don't understand it. It's
0: enough to make you uh, start drinking, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it could. Yeah. And, you know, uh, your tagline for your show is kind of funny, but it's it's really a question of, you know, what's the reality yeah. here? and. Uh, I say in, in, in the book that it seems to me that, that it's as if we're in the thrall of some sorcerer who has got people so convinced that this free trade is working in the face of all the evidence to the to the contrary. Uh it's it's really uh frightening.
0: Well I I often wonder how many pockets were lined. And how <clears throat> well, deep that yeah. lining went. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, I, I think if you look at the NAFTA debate, you'll see uh, some congressmen fighting tooth and nail against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a there's a rich uh, history of all the deals that were struck to to get enough votes, you know, for that thing to pass. And and um, I think it's a great mark of shame on on, on the U.S. Congress, which you know is a, dear to my heart as an institution. I worked there, and I, and I actually ran for Congress at one point. Can I ask, I you, can, think, can I ask I you a sidebar I'll, question? Go right ahead.
0: All right. As, as, a, as a former person who worked in the, in the Congress and uh, as, as a person who was going to run, what do you think about the state of, the, of Congress and the, and the Senate now?
2: Well, one thing is uh, my uh, boss retired at the end of 1978, and even right before he retired, uh, we were witnessing a loss of civility Really, of yeah. an ability of people to have different opinions on something and have a debate about it uh, in, in some kind of a civilized way. So I think we've lost uh, you know the ability to disagree and uh, certainly the ability to to compromise. and, and I think that has uh, that's taken a toll. But, uh, but the thing that I, I would say I'm really mystified about now and that concerns me the most is that we still have uh, members of Congress who are holding office. And who have got their uh, constituents convinced uh, that this free trade and globalization is the right track, um, and it, I it just concerns me deeply that uh, our our voters are being sold a bill of goods.
0: Well, I, I once again uh, I think that President Trump is looking at these uh, these different uh, trade agreements as as through the eyes of a business person, a very smart and successful business person and that like even with uh nafta he said hey we're getting out of it we'll deal with each country individually we're not going to take these group agreements any longer <laughs> and and you know you've you've got to once again admire the guy for taking the bull by the horns and I know that there are those people are who are for President Trump. There are those people who are against President Trump. And, you know, this is the right of ev- of every person in a democratic society. Me, I look at it as a, as a visitor.
2: Well, yes, uh, but the thing is this. There are real limits on what President Trump can accomplish. Yes. And at the end of the day, I think that his best uh, use is as a bully pulpit to raise people's awareness of how high the stakes are here. Because, uh, if you consider Mexico, for example, yep. uh, if their wages are one tenth of American wages, you can't negotiate that away in a, in a trade agreement. So the, the agreement, it wouldn't be a free trade agreement because the only way to, uh, resolve that difference would be to impose tariffs on our, our side of the border. So I concluded that there's only one solution and it's the consumer solution. It's the solution of demand and that I'll give you an example. Uh, As I looked at 2016 to see Mm -hmm. what the future might hold, I noticed that Nabisco was moving its Oreo production from uh, Chicago to Mexico. Wow. And they wouldn't do that if they knew that consumers would not purchase the Oreos made in Mexico. Ford announced they were going to move their entire small car production to Mexico. Mm -hmm. They subsequently decided they're going to move it to China instead. Now, they, w- they would not do that if they knew that uh, consumers had decided we're not going to buy our cars made in China because we realized what a terrible effect that has. So uh, you, you can't really, even on a, uh, another great example is Vietnam. We, had, mm-hmm. we uh, entered into a free trade agreement with them. And when you look at the graph of our trade with them, our exports to them are small and flat, while theirs are just going through the roof, uh, you know, the products they're sending to us. Uh, a trade agreement with Vietnam can never overcome the fact that their wages are, are a tenth of ours. So I don't think the, um, the president can negotiate a free trade agreement with a low, low-wage country that would ever work. But what he can do, and I hope he will do as president, is wake the American people up to the fact that uh, this is crucial to our future, but they are the ones who have the power to change it.
0: But in, but in today's society, isn't it the bottom line of a product that the consumer is actually looking for? The consumer really doesn't care if it's made in Japan or if it's made in Korea or if it's made by slaves or, you know. Um,
2: well, that is true of many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do take heart in this, that uh, when you look at these movements to uh, buy organic and buy yeah. green and buy local uh, and, and, and avoid sweatshops, there is uh the person that i call the social shopper who who does take other things than price into account they already exist and you can add to them uh the workers uh be they in unions or not uh who who are attuned to this uh you have patriots who Mm you know veterans who think this is a bad idea so i think we already have a critical mass of people who could get this ball rolling and then as other people become aware of the problem i think they would jump on board and so you, you can only deal with those, about half of us, who have a couple of extra bucks in our pocket who yeah. can do this. But even, even those who are, are having to go for the lowest price, I've been pleasantly surprised at how often uh, there's a product available made in the U.S. that really All right, James, cost- I hate to do part- this,
0: but we've got to take our, our news break at the bottom of the hour. ExoNation, Jim Stuber is our special guest this hour, and the name of his book is Ready for This ExoNation? What if things were made in America again? And his website is www.miaa.us. That's miaa.us. We'll both be back after the news. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Jim Stuber is our special guest, and his website is www.miaa.us, and he's the author of the newly published book, What If Things Were Made in America Again? How Consumers Can Rebuild the Middle Class by Buying Things Made in American Communities. Once again, his website is www.miaa.us. What's the best way for communities to get on board?
2: uh i foresee a time when uh you will have groups of consumers who are meeting and talking Mm -hmm. with each other about uh their discoveries about the local stores that uh are uh stocking american products uh communities can go into their stores and say uh you know could you get some of these made in america because you know we certainly would buy them um communities that can uh if they are making something in their, in their community mm-hmm. uh, and can promote that through uh, places like my website. Um, also, I, I have a banker friend who uh, really took my book to heart. Uh, he had been a free trader in, in, in all his life until he read this book. And so I think that uh, institutions like the community banks can become leaders in, in this because it's their communities who, that are being, uh, really hollowed out you know, by the loss of these jobs. So I think that certain businesses like that could become, can become leaders uh, in, in building this up. Uh, uh, so at, at the community level, I think there's a lot that can be done, but um, really I think this uh, has to be a national uh, awakening mm-hmm. uh, where there's a national level of demand uh, that then will, will be felt because the people who are making these things will add uh, manufacturing capacity, uh, and, and you'll be seeing them on ABC News saying, uh, we added five jobs this year because, uh, you know, you, you you bought products from us.
0: What impact has the home computer have on the, um, on the economy?
2: Uh, interesting question. Um, Why I'm I've, asking that, that Jim, what,
0: is because you were talking about The outsourcing, and everybody knows that companies like Amazon depend on product made, you know, for the best price for the consumer. How are they going to react? uh,
2: I'd say the computer, and now more than the computer, the smartphone. Mm -hmm have really contributed to this uh, ethos of just going for the lowest price and the fastest delivery right and that that really is a recipe for disaster uh, you can't run an economy like that i call it the low price low wage economy because those low prices end up there's a high cost to those low prices
0: would these products be able to be made in the united states for the same amount of money that they're made in other countries and of course the answer is no so why would a person who is raising four children, mom and dad both have to work, why would they really care where the product came from as long as they can feed their family and save money and put a few cents away for the kid's education and so on and so forth? Where do we draw that line?
2: Well, some of those families are already feeling the pinch of these job losses. Mm-hmm. Either they, they feel it, felt it directly or when the jobs went away and their labor market got flooded with the people who used to have those jobs, it drove down their wages. <clears throat> so there are a lot of places where people have, are seeing up close and personal uh, the, the fact that this isn't working. Right. And that, that we're going to have to do something different. And they're the ones who elected uh, President Trump. So you have those. And then I think you have another group as well who are the ones who are seeing uh, these this uh loss of the white-collar jobs and the jobs they thought their kids were going to have. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a couple the other day whose, uh, whose children are just out of college, and uh, recent college graduates are reporting that uh, <clears throat> 49% of them reported that they are un- underemployed, either working part-time or in jobs below their s- skill level. Forty uh, percent of them were making less than 25000 a year. Wow. So if you wonder why so many of them are living with their parents. Mm-hmm. That's why. And so I think you're you're starting to see uh, widespread recognition among the kind of the white collar uh, business and professional segments of the population that maybe this thing isn't working either. Uh, And then you see people who I mentioned earlier who are losing their jobs and never get them back or they're out of work for two years. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, you walk in on Friday and you've you've uh, gone into debt and, and been in IT for 15 years and they tell you your Indian replacement is arriving on Monday. And so uh, we're creating this harsh society. It's like the game of shoots and ladders, if you've ever played it. Yeah, I, uh, with, I, I have. Yeah, sure. Well, you get up pretty high, and then all of a sudden you land on the wrong square, and you're back to square one. Uh, and that's not the kind of society we should be creating. So
0: I I, at, I, agree, I agree. But isn't that the right of any business person to to you know protect the the shareholders at all costs?
2: No. And, and that's uh, another uh, problem that I mentioned in the book. There are other uh, 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 aspects of mm-hmm. this. And one of them has been our unfortunate uh, focus on single-minded focus on shareholder value. <clears throat> that's not what uh, the United States or Canada were about in nation building. We're, we're building a society different than that, and a society where if you get up in the morning and you work hard on a job mm-hmm. that needs to be done, that you should have a decent life. And so uh, the idea that just figuring out how to maximize shareholder value will result in a just society uh, is, is really a myth. So there are, there are forms of capitalism. We, we, we followed one in the kind of the golden 30 years following World War II, where we knew we needed some regulation on the market, uh, where uh, productivity gains were shared with workers, mm-hmm. and you saw their, uh, their wages increasing as productivity increased. And then we broke that, uh, that agreement with the workers. So there's another way to practice capitalism that we need to return to. And Germany is actually doing it quite successfully now, and they're an exporting powerhouse. So uh, we're not stuck in this construct we've got ourselves into.
0: What about the immigration problem with uh, the illegal immigrants uh, taking a lot of the low-paying jobs? How is that affecting the, uh, the economy?
2: Well, this is one of the things that bothers me the most because the, the people who suffer most from that mm-hmm. are the people least able to bear it. You know, they are, the, are low-wage workers. Right. So you have somebody who's working in a chicken processing plant making $14 an hour, and now they've got desperate people coming up from Central America willing to work for seven fifty dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of anything that's uh, more morally wrong than that. And so uh, this has not had a a good effect. Congress recognized that we didn't need more unskilled workers. Uh, They reduced the number of visas for unskilled workers to 10,000, which is almost nothing. But what we haven't done is enforced our immigration laws. And as as, uh, President Trump said, well, a nation without borders isn't a nation. Yeah, that's right.
0: Mind you, it seems no matter what the president tries, he's blocked. So what is the what is the, yeah you know how is this affecting the 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 average American who believes in the system and that the president is the you know held to a higher standard and with all the media negative media play that is that has been given to the president by certain networks I won't mention CNN but <laughs> you, you know like how this has an effect on the morale of the co- country so how do we how do we fix it all you know we need to bring the the industry back to America. We need to, you know, born in the USA, made in America, America proud, whatever you want to call it. We also need to solve the problems of immigration. We need to solve a lot of problems. How, how do you do it? And which one, if you were president, would you tackle first?
2: Well, I, you know, I think trade and immigration were, were two great places to start. I, mm-hmm. I was very happy to see President Trump choose those topics as, as places that, you know, where he could do something. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, that as uh, individual citizens, there are really two things to do. And the, the first one that I love is that my book it, it really has the happy distinction of having a last chapter that has a practical solution because nobody can make us buy a shirt made in Vietnam or right. prevent us from buying a shirt made in the United States. Uh, and so consumers really have the power to change this. And then I think the next thing we can do is uh, at the ballot box, at the level of the state representative and the uh, member of Congress, mm-hmm. uh, that I could foresee you know, kind of something like what happened with the Tea Party in 2010 is that uh, voters will on no uncertain terms tell uh, their candidates that uh, we are fed up and we are not going to listen to your uh, free trade theories any longer. And we're not going to uh, we're not going to go for soft immigration. Uh, and, and we're going to hold you to that. Uh, and, and we're going to support somebody else. If, if, if you don't tell us, you'll do that.
0: I, I can understand that that logic, that way of thinking. But what does this tell the average American when the president signs an executive order and the courts knock it down?
2: well, you know it, it really does uh, undermine your faith in the system yeah. uh, it, it's troubling to me uh, you know I've been a student of this all my life mm-hmm. and I love the, the the American system and the sure. parliamentary systems of of canada and, and England and um, it's very problematical so uh, but again, you know you go back to the ballot box mm-hmm. and if you have voted for people who will appoint judges uh, that don't do that sort of thing. You know, you can turn that ship around eventually. It takes you, a while. That's but right. Then, but
0: what do you do in the meantime? Because if, if, the, if the ship isn't turned around, you know, fast enough, that, continue, just, that problem mm-hmm. just continues to multiply and multiply yes. and multiply.
2: Well, I, I think we can take heart in this, you know, because as I say, I worked there. Yeah. One of the wonderful things about our system is that the, the House is elected every two years. So they're basically running for office all the time and i can tell you that they pay attention to those letters emails and phone calls uh you know my my job was as legislative assistant one of the things i was to do was to uh, tell the congressman how all of that opinion in our district was running on every vote that that came up so uh i do think that uh whereas uh perhaps the president wasn't able to do things by executive order Mm -hmm. it's something the congress would have the power to do uh, and that and that they will they will listen if they hear hear from us. i uh, give giving a specific example is uh, a fellow from here in Pennsylvania. Rick Santorum was a senator. He, yes. he ran yeah. for the presidency. And I went I, and heard him talking about his book, which he called Blue Collar Conservative. And I pointedly asked him, well, where are you on on trade, Senator? And he said, well, I'm a free trader, unquote. I'm a free trader. I did vote against NAFTA, but I'm a free trader. So he's—he is the blue-collar person's biggest enemy. And but if he was he- hearing from his people in Pennsylvania that uh, you cannot be a free trader and get elected by us, then then I think we can change it. So it,
0: if if I understand what you're saying, right, the people do have the power, and it's up to the people to get out there and vote to make the changes to make it a bit, you know, to bring back the. The trade to america as well as solve the other problems that are facing uh, the citizens today
2: yes and even more so uh, get active uh, you know you can identify somebody mm-hmm. that you like that you want to support uh, at every level of office because people do tend to graduate up to the next level uh, you know as they've had a success so the people you you support for county commission and school board right uh, may be the person you're you're supporting for congress uh someday and um, i you know, I've done it. I, I ran. I, I helped in campaigns. And uh, we are all capable of having a larger effect than We than, have to
0: take our final break. Please stand by. Great talking to you, Jim. Exonation, <laughs> Jim and I will be back on the other side of this break. www.miaa.us.
1: The, stars are it's-
0: the Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You want to love is easy. How will you know if I am for
1: you? You won't know me to see me, but you'll know by what I do. For I will play rhapsody cleverly,
0: and welcome back, uh, everyone. Before we get back to our guest this hour, I'd just like to let all you people like to keep track of what songs we play during this uh, the segment. Let me see. We started off with Sawyer Brown. This Night Won't Last Forever, followed by Sarah McLaughlin, I Will Remember You. Then we had Jennifer Warren's Right Time of the Night, and our final uh, bumper coming into this segment was Burton Cummings and I Will Play a Rhapsody. Jim Stauber, Stuber is our special guest, and uh, he's the author of what if things were made in America again how can how consumers can rebuild the middle class by buying things made in American communities Jim I want to thank you ever so much for joining us on the show tonight I wish you much success because we need to get the movement going my
2: friend yes I, I think so uh, and you know there's I think the window of opportunity will close so I would try to convey a sense of urgency about this uh, you know we we live our everyday lives we're trying to raise children and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know get the job done at work and so we may not be stopping and thinking about uh, you know, the very big picture but uh, you know there's when i you might not even be familiar with the word geopolitics but you know when you look at the uh, world order and the position of America and China in the world uh, it can get very frightening because uh, one of the things that I came up with in the book was to recognize that China is really intent on uh, really becoming the dominant power in the world uh, and returning to their eras of greatness in the past after this hundred years of humiliation. And we've been helping them. We send them $350 billion a year to that they can spend on their military, uh, they can lend back to us so that we become their debtor, that they can use to lend to other countries who can, who can buy their goods. And so uh, these are things that um, we all need to stop and think about. Uh, because uh, it's frightening as, as you think about how that could all turn out.
0: I, I had an e- uh, economist on a couple of weeks ago, and he said that if China was ever to, to call all the loans that are owed to them by the United States, that the United States would be bankrupt.
2: Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it, it, it could be uncomfortable. Uh, it, as, as I recall, it was about $1.7 trillion that they are holding. Japan uh, is holding a similar uh, amount of our debt, uh, and we are our uh, f- uh, government debt is mm-hmm. about seventeen trillion dollars. So uh, that wouldn't bankrupt us, but it could make it hard for us to borrow. So it, it could have a, a big effect. Uh, maybe not bankrupt us, but uh, right. it could drive our it could drive the interest rates up and make it difficult for the for the federal government to finance itself. How did
0: it become such a mess?
2: Well, uh, at first, we were fighting communism. And so we were giving our economy to Japan. uh, And then and you have the uh, companies that be that really kind of uh, unhook their ties to America, and they started thinking of themselves as global companies. And so they were very, very willing to uh, move their production to Japan, if that's what it took. And so that went on for about 50 years. <clears throat> but really, the big game changer was this entry of, of China into the, into the World Trade Organization and, and getting our low tariff rates um, <clears throat> because we had companies champing at the bit. And as soon as that thing passed, uh, you had dozens of companies saying, we're going to open up uh, operations in, in China because uh, they, they had two reasons. One is they did want to get entry to the China market. Mm-hmm. But mostly, they just wanted to get those, those low wages in China. Uh, Walmart was a huge uh, mover in, in that whole business. When Sam Walton died, uh, they were not doing so well. And so they made a big move to start sourcing in China and to force their suppliers to source in China. So, again, a lot of it was just pursuit of profit. Wow. It's a sorry tale. It course, is. You know, it's, it really is. Uh, and at, at the time, Walmart was hiding behind Made in America campaigns. You know, they're trying to act like they were, they were big patriots. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, – and actually it reminds me also, Rob, that there's a huge moral uh, component to this <clears throat> I hope I can mention to you quickly. Sure. Is, please go ahead. Um these poor folks who live in these manufacturing towns, uh, one of them uh, who uh, someone wrote a book called Janesville, which was Paul Ryan's hometown. Mm-hmm. And you see these poor families scrambling and just trying to keep life together, they were not they did not volunteer to uh, for the project of either low prices for everybody or solving poverty in china or or Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They got volunteered for that. And those of us who volunteered them for that, uh, it's a huge moral, mark on us that that we did that uh and and that i think is the thing that i'm most passionate about right now is the idea that these ordinary americans uh got volunteered for this project to destroy their lives so that they could uh, maybe improve the lives of four people in china that's wrong
0: it certainly is it's wrong on so many levels Where, what about the United Nations? Can they do anything? Can they help uh, with all these problems when it comes to the, the labor camps and the, you know, the slave ships and the other acts against humanity that are being committed by countries who really don't care because they're not afraid of anybody?
2: I don't think so. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, when you look out there mm-hmm. at places like Thailand and you realize how, uh, how thin the rule of law is, Uh, In China, the same thing. Uh, One gal did a book called The China Price, and she was there personally, and she would see this factory that was there for the inspectors. Mm -hmm. But there was a whole other factory that the inspectors never saw. Or the factories, uh, they clean up because they know the inspectors are coming. Uh, As long as you're in a global uh, society, there are too many desperate places in the world where the people in power are corrupt. And there are enough desperate people that um, you know. I just don't. I don't see that happening. So I think the answer is for uh, consumers in all the countries of the world to say we want to support our own economy uh, to the extent we can, uh, and and our own political system, and to think that we can do that on a global basis through the UN or, or otherwise, uh, I, I think is just foolish.
0: Well, let's just take a look for, uh, for a moment at North Korea, and 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 the threat that you know is being arched against the United States. And then you've got China in the middle. And you've got President Trump going to China to negotiate with China. And China is being used as the buffer between the United States and and North Korea. I, for one, cannot understand what China would do that would have any influence over the decisions of the North Vietnamese.
2: Well, uh, China is North Korea's biggest trading partner. So if China wanted to, you know, it could stop importing coal from North Korea. You know, it, it could really put the screws on. Uh, but would North they? Korea. But they wouldn't. Uh, yeah. For two, two reasons. One is that, uh, which goes back to geopolitics, North yeah. Korea is a client state of its communist neighbors, China and, and Russia. And and. China does, would, does not want to think about a, a unified Korean peninsula under one democratic government. And then the other is just simply economics, that there are a lot of businesses on the China side of the mm-hmm. border that would suffer if China really embargoed North Korea. It's one heck of so a I mess. Think that this is really regrettable because yeah. the, President Trump really had uh, put the finger on China during the campaign. He had correctly pointed out how they had been playing us mm-hmm. for, the, for the big chunk all these years. And unfortunately, he has uh, tried to you know, get their help with North Korea, and that has weakened his position on, with them on trade.
0: We've got about two minutes left, uh, James. What are your final thoughts? What is the message that you would like to convey in the next two minutes to our, to our listeners?
2: Well, it's this, that if you scratch the surface, things are not going well in America. Don't be f- fooled by the stock market and that low unemployment number. Uh, look around and talk to your friends that we have an urgent problem uh, of, of our uh, economy that's mm-hmm. becoming this harsh uh, economy of shoots and ladders. But uh, we can fix it. And I urge that uh, we as consumers get out there and, and uh, start buying things made in America and that we as uh, citizens get out there and elect people who are aware of these problems and, and want to fix them.
0: If listeners would like to buy a copy of your book, how do they do that?
2: It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and in your local bookstore. And if you go on miaa.us, there's, there's a link through to a, a place where you can buy a book as well. So what's next for you, Jim? Well, now it's to uh, build a movement, really, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, get the word out about this. Uh, I have a nonprofit where people can uh, sign up and, and become uh, informed uh, about this and start telling each other about products they're discovering. Right. And I'm putting up a website where people can buy American-made goods. I call it ALTHAM, A-L-L-T-H-A-M, for all things American. Mm -hmm. Uh, The site is built, and I'm I'm planning in the very near future to populate it with products so that this will be one channel where someone who's decided to buy American can be pretty sure they're going to find what they're looking for.
0: Congratulations on everything that you're doing, Jim. I wish you all the best, and I look forward to the next time you join us back here in the Exxon. Until then, thanks for all you do.
2: And thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. My
0: my pleasure, sir. Exonation. Our guest this hour has been James A. Stuber, and he's the author of the newly published book "What If Things Were Made in America Again: How Consumers Can Build Middle Class by Buying Things Made in American Communities." His website is www.miaa.us. That's www.miaa.us. I'm going to visit that man's site. Come on, gang, let's get behind him. He's got the right idea. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue. Here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, and around the world through our different affiliates and satellite network providers. My name's Rob McConnell, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com.